Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Thanks for listening again to the Living Leadership Podcast. My name is Paul Coulter. I work as Head of Ministry Operations with Living Leadership, and this is the third in a series of three episodes in which I've been thinking about ministry motivations. In the first episode, I said that motives matter, but not the most. From 1 Peter 5, we saw that we ought to be motivated by grace, joy and faith, not compulsion or desire for personal gain or control over others. And then we saw in Philippians 1 how Paul dealt with the wrong motives of others by remembering that what matters most in ministry is not our motives, but the message we proclaim. So we should rejoice that the gospel is preached and make sure that we are faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. In the second episode, we saw that motives are mixed, but not forever. I suggested that as long as we serve this side of glory, our motives will be mixed. That's inevitable. But we looked to 1 Corinthians 4, where the Apostle Paul gave us three principles for dealing with our own mixed motives. First, we have to think of ourselves and present ourselves to others as servants of Christ. Second, we must not trust our own judgment, but submit to God's. And third, we must serve for God's praise and the praise of no one else. Now, in this final episode, I want to finish on what's perhaps a more upbeat note. We won't be thinking about the wrong motives of others or our own mixed motives, but how we can keep our motives pure. And the answer to that, of course, is to surrender them under God. So let's read again from the Apostle Paul, this time from 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 7. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Now, I've said this in each episode, but it's worthy of repetition. Although I've based this series on the verses that refer to motives in the NIV, there is no direct equivalent word in these passages for our English word motives. And that's not a criticism of the NIV. In fact, I think the translators are spot on in each of these passages talking about motives. But the purposes of our hearts that underlie our actions are described using different words in the Greek. And the word that's translated wrong motives in Philippians 1 appears again in this passage. In verse 5, it's translated as putting on a mask to cover up greed. It has the basic idea of pretense, 
Philippians 1, people preached the gospel out of pretense. And here Paul says that we didn't pretend whenever we were speaking to you. In other words, they didn't look like they had one set of motives when in reality they had another. But the word that is translated with the phrase impure motives here in 1 Thessalonians 2 is a different word again. So in verse 3, it's the word acarthasius, which broadly means impure or unclean. It's related to the word catharsis, meaning a purging. So these are things that are unpurged. So the ESV simply translates it as impurity. But it's quite right that the NIV uses motives because these are impure motives. And so we can learn from it in our own motivation. Now, at the risk of being branded as a stereotypical three-point preacher, I've got three points from this passage. And I had three sets of right and wrong motives from 1 Peter 5 in the first episode and three points in episode two from 1 Corinthians 4. I can assure you I don't always have three points, but it just happens that I can see three principles here for how motives can be pure, but only under God. And the first point brings us back to what we learnt from Philippians 1 in the first episode. There, Paul rejoiced because the gospel was being preached, even though the preachers had wrong motives. And here he tells us that he was committed to preaching the gospel, even in the face of strong opposition. So our first point is that we can only keep our motives pure if we are resolute in preaching the gospel. Now, I presume that most people listening to this podcast won't need much encouragement to believe the gospel. I suppose that most of you are committed to the gospel and recognise that it is the power of God for salvation. But how committed are we to preaching it even when there is opposition? The gospel is not popular in the world today. People around us don't think of themselves as needing a saviour. They don't accept the category of sin. They might welcome the idea that God loves them, which is certainly a gospel truth, but they can't stomach the thought that God might, God might be angry with them, which is equally essential to understanding the gospel. The cross of Jesus demonstrates both God's love see Romans 5, and his justice, see Romans 3. It shows us the extent of our sinfulness, the death that we deserve, the awful consequences of sin for the Holy Son of God. And it shows us the extent of God's grace, the deliverance we receive, and the awesome salvation from sin through the Holy Son of God. But this jars with the world. Sin? our need of a saviour. And yet that's exactly what we have to proclaim because there is no other saving message under heaven. Only the name of Jesus can save. But the greater challenge for most of us, I suspect, is not opposition from the world, but within the church. And so I say this carefully and sincerely. I think the greatest challenge facing evangelicals today is our doctrine of sin. I see it time and time again that people who call themselves evangelical and may subscribe to an evangelical basis of faith don't talk clearly about sin, wrath or judgment or repentance. It seems as if a, a therapeutic false gospel has replaced gospel preaching. Now, our duty in the face of such challenges is to do what Paul did in, in Thessalonica. 
In Philippi, he says he had previously suffered and been treated outrageously. And off the back of that experience, he comes to Thessalonica and he boldly proclaims the gospel. And you and I must have boldness to tell people God's gospel, not the watered down message that suits yourself or the distorted message they want to hear, but the life-giving word of God that they need, the gospel in its fullness. And wonderfully, Paul says, he did this with the help of our God. Paul was not a first century Christian superhero impervious to power, unflinching in resolve. He was a weak man like me. But he knew the mighty power of God, the power of God to save through the gospel, the power of God to sustain his servant through hardship. That same power is in the gospel today, and that same power is available to you as a servant of God. So go forth in God's power and speak the gospel. Principle number one, if you want to have pure motives, dedicate yourself to proclaiming the gospel honestly even when it hurts. The second principle flows from this. Paul says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We know we, you know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. So the second principle is really the same as the third principle I outlined in the second episode. Then I said we serve God for God's praise alone. And here we can put it slightly differently. We aim to please God alone. One of the most dangerous temptations for people in ministry is to become people pleasers. Now, it's right, of course, that we should be concerned with what people think of us. We are, after all, called, as we saw in 1 Peter 5, to be examples to the church. But that's not the same as living to please people. We need to be living examples of faith and faithfulness. We should not be motivated by wanting to be popular. We should show others our weaknesses, but we shouldn't use those weaknesses to gain sympathy and make it impossible for people to challenge us for fear of hurting us. We should bring people words of encouragement, but we must never stray into flattery. Now, I find it interesting that Paul talks about flattery here. I'm not sure that I always know what flattery is, or rather, I am sure that I don't always keep the right side of it. I was reminded of this recently when a younger pastor asked me for my honest assessment of a sermon he preached. He was concerned that he hadn't been bold enough in upholding an aspect of biblical truth that was clear in the passage. And in that moment, I knew the temptation to tell him that his sermon was really good and I hadn't noticed any issues. That would have been at least half true. It was a good sermon. And in fact, I hadn't been very concerned about what he'd said until he asked me. But in truth, I had noticed that he was softer than the passage was in how he commented on the passage. And so with God's help, I told him that gently, I think, and humbly, I hope. Now, that was a, an easy example because that pastor is teachable and humble. It's not always so. The great challenge for me is when I'm in a group of people who are talking maybe about a, a conference or a book or a message that they've enjoyed. And in those settings, it, 
I always find at least some people who only ever seem to say positive things, even more so when the speaker or author is present. And when I'm sitting there thinking that really the message was unclear or simply wrong or good, but with one or two weaknesses, I find it an immense struggle to know when I should speak and how. Maybe you can identify with that, maybe not. Perhaps your problem is more that you're too quick to speak or you don't balance honest assessment with encouraging comments. But for me, I need to hear Paul's encouragement in 1 Thessalonians 2 to hold back from flattery. Flattery is never kind. It dishonours God and it misleads the person you're speaking to. It leaves sin and error uncorrected. And I think people who flatter usually do it because they're afraid of hurting others or because they're unsure of their own judgment. But in the final analysis, flattery is inconsistent with the gospel. And I think flattery happens most often when relationships are superficial and when people have not invited honest critique. Whatever the reasons, though, it's a curse. So make it your aim not to flatter or to be content to be flattered. Be honest in how you speak to people and seek honest feedback from people. That's what the gospel demands. It's how people who know that they've been entrusted with the gospel behave, as Paul puts it. And that's because they serve to please the master and not to please people. People pleasers are fickle and unstable. They find it hard to say what people don't want to hear, so they say whatever will impress people. They are one thing to one person and another to another. They're the very antithesis of the God who never changes, whose yes is yes and whose no is no. Now again, let me say that I know how hard this is, but I can't urge you strongly enough to surround yourself with trusted people who will help to save you from becoming a people pleaser. And again, I would recommend to you the support that we offer in living leadership, both through our staff and associates who can walk with you individually as mentors, and also through Refresh Network Online, which you can join twice per month and where you'll find fellowship with others who are seeking to please only the master. Check out the website livingleadership.org for details. So our first principle was to dedicate ourselves to preach the gospel even when it hurts. Our second is to aim to please only the master. But thirdly, we must strive for simplicity. I see this in two senses in what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 2. Firstly, he says he was not presenting a pretense that covered up greed. What you saw was what you got. He spoke from the heart. I suppose that means that he said he had no greed because he didn't. But I suppose it could equally mean owning up about our mixed motives so others can hold us to account in them. In other words, confessing whenever we think greed might be part of our motive. That would certainly be helpful for me. And it's another reason to seek out the kind of support that living leadership offers. But the principle here is to be simple in your speech, not covering up or pretending to be what you aren't. Maybe another application of that is to avoid boastfulness. 
there is, I'm convinced, no room in Christian ministry for parading titles, qualifications or letters after your name. There are certainly contexts where these things might open up doors for the gospel or gain a hearing from people who might be impressed by such things. So use them in that context if it gives you an opening. But please don't flaunt them in the church because they're not the currency of the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't work on qualifications and positions, achievements or merit. It's all about grace and the powerful work of God. So when people use honorifics in places where they ought not and where people shouldn't be impressed by them, they're actually encouraging the wrong attitudes in the people who are listening. We are called not to make much of ourselves, not to boast in our own achievements or in the opinions of others about us. We're not called to speak much about ourselves at all, but to focus people's attention on Jesus and to be subversive of our culture's counter gospel values. So be simple, no pretense, no pretending, no bigging yourself up, no trying to commend the gospel on the basis of your uh, qualifications. Simply present the gospel. But the other indicator in this passage of the need for us to strive for simplicity is in the very last verse. Paul says that rather than asserting their authority as apostles of Christ, Silas and he were like young children among you. And that's a wonderful mental image. A young child, think about it. Maybe you have young children or you remember when you did or you've seen them in your church fellowship. Young children are simple and sincere. They're free from the need to impress others or to look smart. They speak from the heart and they trust others to do the same. Paul isn't saying that his message was childish, but that his faith in the God who had given him the message was childlike. And this is the hallmark of authentic gospel ministry, simplicity. So let's be like little children among those we lead. Yes, we should read on into 1 Thessalonians where Paul says he, he loved them like a father or a mother. That's part of ministry too. But we've got to start from this simple stance as a child of God and one who isn't pretending to be the mature, erudite fount of all wisdom, but simply one who testifies to the greatness and the wisdom of God. So there we have it. In the first episode, three wrong and right motivations for ministry from 1 Peter 5. Not compulsion, but a response to grace. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly with our joy in God. And not to control others, but to be an example to them. And when we see the people whose motivations are wrong, we can still rejoice as Paul did in Philippians 1, so long as the gospel is preached. Then in the second episode, three lessons for dealing with our own mixed motivations from 1 Corinthians 4. Be and be seen to be a servant of Christ. Trust only God's judgment, not your own, and serve for God's praise alone. And here in this episode, three keys from 1 Thessalonians 2 for serving with pure motives. Preach the gospel even when it hurts. Aim to please the master and not the people and strive for childlike simplicity before God and among those you serve. Now we're on this journey together. 
So let me remind you again of the support that living leadership can offer you. But most importantly, let me finish with a prayer as we commit ourselves to God who works in and through us. Gracious Father, may we serve with the simplicity of your little children. Lord Jesus, may we serve to please you alone and for your praise alone. Holy Spirit, may we serve in your power in response to your leading. Triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, keep us faithful to the gospel until the day when you expose every motive and purify us in your presence. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.